What we're doing this morning is we are starting a new sermon series at Emmaus called Building Foundations, Not Fences. And so over the next few weeks, beginning with today, as we talk about the topic of race and ethnicity, and next week talking about money and and missions and reaching people with the gospel, and then spending a couple of weeks leading up to the midterm elections talking about politics and then tackling questions of marriage, including same-sex marriage and homosexuality, and then the question of gender the week after that. There's some heavy topics in, in front of us. And I think you'll see as we go through these topics, the way that they're related in, in so many different ways. And as we see these topics and we think about them together, our goal here is not to be controversial. Our, our goal is not just to raise these. Our goal is to realize this is the world in which we live. These are the things that people are, are talking about. Even driving up here early this morning, about halfway to the church building, I thought, do I really want to do this? <laughs> like, it's not too late. It's not too late to, uh, to back out. But, but this is what we need to be talking about. And, and we're talking about it because we want to understand what does God's word say about these things? How do we handle these things? And I want you to know, if you've not been around Emmaus a lot, When it comes to topics like this, our goal is to say we are going to stand with the truth of God's word. We're not going to back away from that truth. We believe God's word speaks to these things in some very powerful ways. And at the same time, how we talk about these topics really matters. And we're going to treat people with love and dignity and respect. And so over the next few weeks, if you hear nothing else, I hope you hear We want to hold to the truth of God's word. We're not going to back away from that. And we're going to speak about these things with humility and respect and kindness and love as we deal with all these different topics. Because let's be honest here, these aren't just theoretical topics. These are people we're talking about. This this is us we're talking about. We're talking about our neighbors and our friends and our family members and our coworkers. And so we're treating people, as we're going to talk about later in the sermon, as those created in the image of God. Now, what do I mean by building foundations, not fences? Not fences means we can't live in such a way that when it comes to all these hard topics in life, we begin to draw these boundaries between us that cause us to be reactionary, that cause us to demonize people that are on the other side of an issue. We're gonna talk about issues that divide people, and if we're not careful, we stop talking to people and we start talking about people. We start to demonize or or create ideas about what somebody else thinks about something. And these topics make us so reactionary. Even the idea of talking about some of these things, you can feel your blood pressure going up, you can feel your body temperature going up, and and those of us that don't like conflict, we can find ourselves wanting just to back away immediately, like, oh man, can't we just talk about Jesus loves me and, and not have to deal with these things? We can feel that coming up. But if we're not careful, when we start to build these fences, it changes the way we think about people. It changes the way we see people. And we become afraid of people that we're called to love. The world around us wants us to fear other people. The Bible says that perfect love drives out fear. That when we see people the way God has created them, we see people as those for whom Jesus has died, it causes us to see them differently, speak to them differently, treat them differently. I was thinking about on this idea of building foundations, not not fences. Home improvement, 
the old Home Improvement show? Anybody remember Home Improvement? You guys are going to have to Google it probably. Like, I don't think you're going you're gonna to know this. But Tim the Toolman Taylor, um, and he had the fence that divided him from his neighbor Wilson on the other side, and you only ever saw half of Wilson's face. I looked up this week to see if Wilson was his first or last name. It's actually both. He's Wilson Wilson uh, in, in that show, Home Improvement. And so there's Wilson on the other side that you can kind of see. He's got this relationship with him, and Wilson provides good wisdom on these things that Tim's dealing with, but there's this fence between them. And I feel like sometimes in the world today, we live in that way with these fences between us. My goal with this sermon series would be that as a result of us looking at Scripture, you would love and trust the Lord more than you ever have before, and you would love and serve those around you more than you ever have before. Remember the shape of the cross? Remember that God's work in our lives, it changes our relationship with God vertically, but it also changes our relationship with people horizontally. And that shape of the cross is so important because as we go through these topics, these are topics that help us know more about our relationship with God, but they're also topics that change how we treat people around us. Just like we did with the previous sermon series about doubt, we built a web page for this sermon series. And so all of the sermon notes, all of the resources, ideas, things like that are at www.emmausokc.org foundations. So if you go to our website, emmausokc.org foundations, you don't have to worry about keeping up with sermon slides. All the sermon notes are on there. I've got resources, book ideas, just different things about it. And we'll update that every week as we go through this sermon series. But I want you to know that's out there. How are we going to build a foundation for these topics? What does it look like to build a foundation? Well, just like Todd mentioned last, last week, the book of Genesis is key for this. And so when you think about building a foundation for dealing with these topics, it begins with Genesis 1 through 3. If you're unfamiliar with your Bible, if you think, man, I, I'd love to know the Bible more, I just, I, I don't know where to start, it looks so big, I get confused when I'm reading the Bible. If I can just tell you this, if you start with Genesis 1 through 3 and just get the big ideas of those three chapters, it sets the stage for everything to come. And so as we deal with all of these topics we're talking about over the next few weeks, Genesis 1 through 3 is going to be a big part of forming that foundation. And also, as we think about developing good theology for these topics, at Emmaus, we talk about something called the three circles. Kids, kids in the room, if you guys have not drawn this lately, this is good practice to go back and, and draw this. We have a version that we on, is on our website that has words on it, but if you start in the top left, that's God's design. God is creator. Everything that exists exists because God made it, and he designed it for a purpose, and our design is to worship him. When we go away from God's design in life, that's called sin, and sin always leads to brokenness. Brokenness in our world, brokenness in our lives, it leads to death. And no matter how hard we try to deal with those things on our own, we can't. And so we have to repent and believe in the gospel, what Jesus has done for us. Creation, fall, redemption. If you ever get confused about Christianity, if you ever get confused about what's going on in your Bible, that image there is a summary. It, it's a picture of what's happening in the Bible, what's happening all throughout Scripture that God wants to do in our lives. He's designed us for his glory, Sin leads to death and brokenness. We repent and believe in Jesus and the gospel, and that leads us to live for God. And we're just going to go through that process with all these different topics we're talking about over the next few weeks. So what I want to do right now is I want to pray for us, 
Pray for spiritual wisdom. Pray that your hearts will be open to what God has in front of us. You might say, okay, you're talking about race. I'm not a racist. I don't need to listen. We missed the point already at that point. We're talking about what does God want to do in your relationship with him, and how does God want to change the way you treat other people? Let's pray together, and we're going to get started. Father, I pray for each of us here that you would give us spiritual wisdom and understanding. God, I pray that you would calm my own anxieties about this series. God, these are important topics. These are dealing with things that are on social media, that are on the news, that are in conversations at school and workplaces, and, and they're heavy. And God, our desire is not to be controversial. Our desire is not to build fences. Our desire is to point people to Jesus, to the cross. And God, let that be so clear in the weeks to come. Use this to shape our church and our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So today is Amanda and I's 18th wedding anniversary. And when we got married, we lived for three months here in Oklahoma, and then three months into our marriage, we moved to New Orleans. And that move to New Orleans has probably shaped our marriage and our family more than maybe anything else we did. We got away from family, got away from friends that we knew, and went to a place that was completely new to us. And and I know people have bad New Orleans experiences, We had an incredible New Orleans experience. Just being exposed to people and ideas and experiences that we would have never been exposed to otherwise. But going to New Orleans also put in front of us what that first slide is for you today, and it's just the reality of this racial tension and fences that we live with in our world. I put in front of you today a few things that seem to cause tension, that build fences between people. And you can see some of those up there, and you can look at them and say, oh yeah, I could, I could see that and that and that. But, but just telling you personally what it was like for us to, to go to New Orleans and experience things that we had not experienced before growing up. I pastored a church that if you ever fly into New Orleans, you fly into a little suburb called Kenner. And there in Kenner, we pastored this church, and one of their main outreaches is they had an outdoor basketball court, and kids from the neighborhood would come and play at this basketball court, and this was the roughest street ball that I have ever been around in my life. My first day there, they asked me to referee this street ball game. Referee and street ball do not go together. I'll just tell you that right now, okay? This was, this was crazy. And you had white kids, black kids, and Hispanic kids that would come together. And these kids, they don't love Jesus and they don't love each other. But all they know is our church has a basketball goal. And, and that's it. And so they would come and we would force them to sit through a little Bible lesson beforehand, but all they wanted to do was just get to the basketball. Like, that, that's what they were there for. And I learned something interesting in, in that ministry that we had there is that the white kids and the black kids, they got along okay. The black kids and the Hispanic kids couldn't stand each other. And, and this just blew my mind. This was not something I was familiar with. I didn't understand the dynamics of that neighborhood. I didn't know what they had grown up with. And it was for my naive, coming from Oklahoma self, just this completely different way of thinking thinking about how people relate. The little high school I grew up in, in Central High in Southwest Oklahoma, we grew up and we had one black guy in, in our class. And we always gave him a hard time. He was with us since second grade. 
We had an incredible relationship with him, such a good friend. We gave him a really hard time because we said we got the only black guy that couldn't play sports uh, that was in our class. And so, though, though, when we were seniors, he played the greatest basketball game of his life in their senior high school basketball playoffs and got us to the area championship, and we forgave everything uh, before that point, when we got to that point. But we grew up with that reality. When we were juniors, we were playing a school that will remain unnamed in, in southwest Oklahoma, and it was a chippy game. Like, we were going back and forth. My buddy is the only black guy on the court, probably the only black person in the gym at, at this point. We're going through the line after the game to shake hands. He was our center on the basketball team. The other center on the opposing team, we're going through the line, and he decks my friend. Now, there was some talk that happened during the game. Let's be honest. Like, there was some back and forth things that shouldn't, shouldn't have been said. But it's a really bad look when in an all-white gym and you have one black guy and the black guy gets punched. It's not good. This is the only brawl. I've ever, I've ever been a part of. And as a junior in high school, let's, let's be clear here, I had not grown yet, uh, which meant I had their back. Like, I, I was way back like, in the brawl. I was as far back from the brawl as I could be, and there are people coming out of the stands, and both teams are going at each other. And it was my first experience of being in a situation where we had to think through, what happened to our friend here? He's trying to handle this experience, knowing he's the only black guy in the gym. Here's the other guy from the other side, Dex, saying, what do you, what do, you do with this type of, of racial tension? This last week, I had lunch with an uh, immigrant to, to the U.S., non-white guy that's here in the U.S. He talked about, as being a person of color, coming to the U.S., coming a, as, as an immigrant, he's a citizen now of the U.S., but coming here, he said you know, the racism that he felt like he experienced, it, it wasn't overt. It was very subtle. What, what would happen is everybody else would be invited to the workplace party, and, and he was never invited. Just never being included in things that were happening socially. And he said something that was unique. He said, I really believe people didn't realize how they were treating me. They, they weren't doing this on purpose. They weren't being overtly cruel to me. It was just they saw me as an other. They saw me as someone who didn't belong, and therefore I wasn't invited to be a part of what was going on. We live in that type of culture. We live in that type of world. What do we do with that? How do we respond to that as the people of God? Well, there's a lot of things that we could say, a lot of ways we can respond, but what I want to do is I just want to take you back through God's word. What does scripture say about this topic? Genesis chapter 1. Actually, you know what? Before we get to Genesis 1, let's, let's deal with something really quick. I forgot to put this in there because I, I didn't want to cause confusion. There's a couple of terms it would probably be good for us to address, a couple of terms. What do we mean when we talk about racism? Uh, there's the word race and the word ethnicity. Knowing the difference between those two will actually help diffuse some of the tension that happens at times. When we're talking about racism, we're talking about either a belief or a practice that devalues someone or discriminates against someone on the basis of race, on the basis of some sort of physical characteristic, usually the color of their skin. The interesting thing about race is it's so socially constructed. Uh, a lot of social scientists are even beginning to step away from the idea of race because it's so arbitrary, it's so fuzzy. How do you draw these lines about what it means to be one race or another? 
There's another word that's often used that in some sense is more helpful. It's this idea of ethnicity, that you have a shared custom or a shared language or a shared background that, that brings us together. Now, it's still possible with ethnicity for a culture to say, we're just going to have one ethnicity and we're going to protect against everybody else. That's a danger we run into. But as we're talking about these topics, we use race and ethnicity interchangeably a lot. But I do think the word ethnicity has a good biblical background because this idea of different people groups that God has created, different people from different languages and tribes and customs and backgrounds. And so there's some beauty in that, whereas race tends to be one of those things that quickly divides us from each other. And, and we build up these stereotypes that either that person is not as smart, they're not as successful, they're not as safe because they look different, they have a different background than I do. That's what we're trying to guard our hearts against. Genesis chapter 1. Let's start in verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1. Scripture says, Let us make man in our image, God says, in the creation of humankind. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over everything on the earth. For the next six weeks, if you could just hold on to this verse as the foundation for what we're talking about, this is the famous theological category called the Imago Dei. This is the idea that every person on the planet has been created in the image of God to represent the goodness of God to the world around us. Now, we realize that that image is broken in a lot of ways. Sin has broken and scarred that image. But every single person on earth has been created in the image of God, which means if we believe in God as creator— when we see someone who is different than us in some way, we may not disagree with we may not agree with that person, we may not particularly like that person, but we should be able to look at that person and say they are created in the image of God. And they deserve dignity and respect because of that. Racism in any form is antithetical to scripture and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's just be straightforward about that. Racism in any form is antithetical to Scripture and to the gospel of Jesus Christ because we know that all people have been made in the image of God. And so as we go over the next few weeks, just hold on to Genesis chapter 1, this imago Dei created in the image of God that impacts the way we see people and treat people around us. Genesis chapter 3 through 12. What happens there in 3 through 12? Well, Genesis chapter 3 is where sin enters the story. People sin, and what happens when they sin? Sin leads to brokenness. It breaks our lives internally. It leads to death, but sin also impacts the way we treat people around us. And in Genesis chapter 3 through 11, you see people begin to be violent toward one another. You see cities and empires growing up where they're trying to build walls and keep people away from them and only have people who are like them. It all leads up to Genesis 11 with this Tower of Babel, we just want to stay together. We don't want to be spread out over the earth. And then in Genesis chapter 12, God says he's going to bring someone named Abraham. And through Abraham, through one ethnicity, his light, his hope is going to go out to all people. God's going to bless all nations through Abraham. Now, tucked into the middle of Genesis 3 through 12 is a passage that we need to talk about, okay? It's Genesis chapter 9. And in Genesis chapter 9, you get this reference in verse 25. It says, or Noah said in Genesis 9, 25, 
Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. Depending on what background you might have grown up in, there's this theory that's been out there through the years that's called the curse of Ham. The very basic, very basic form of this curse of Ham is that someone who has dark skin, black skin, has been cursed, as you see in, in this text, and it's used in that way. And so someone who has dark skin or black skin, it's okay for that person to be in servitude or be enslaved to someone else. Can I just tell you right now, that is an absolute distortion of Scripture. In fact, that's the most disgusting theology that I can imagine. That is, in Genesis 3, when everything falls apart with sin, Scripture, God's Word is distorted. The curse of Ham is one of the worst distortions of Scripture that's been made, and it has been used in the church, and it has to go. It doesn't match what the Scripture says here. The curse is not given against Ham. It's given against Canaan. And this curse is fulfilled as the people of God, the Israelites, come against the Canaanites as they're coming in to the promised land. And it has nothing to do with people from Africa. It, it doesn't even refer to that. But the scripture has been twisted and distorted so badly that it still gets put out there on social media sites. And it still gets put out there on blogs. And if you see it being used, know that it has no basis in God's word. It has no basis in Christian theology. It just needs to be done, done away with, but these things are hard to kill. <laughs> they just keep going. They just stick around. I want you to know that that's in there. Numbers. The book of Numbers has a really interesting story in it. Numbers chapter 12, verse 1. Miriam and Aaron, brother and sister there for Moses, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite referring to someone from, from Africa because the African woman whom Moses had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. You may have never picked up on that in the scripture before, but Moses marries an African woman here. Aaron and Miriam, they don't like it. They don't like this, this marriage that's happened. Down in verse 10 in Numbers 12, God has something to say about this. God's not pleased with what happens here. It says, when the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous. Her skin had turned this white like snow. Here's what it seems like the Lord is doing. Miriam and Aaron oppose Moses' marriage to this African lady. And God says to Miriam, hey, you like white? I'll show you what white looks like. I'll, I'll show you how this looks like. It, it's this horrible disease that is broken out on your skin. You're bothered because Moses is married to this dark-skinned lady. Now your skin is going to be white with leprosy like snow. We live in a culture. We live in a world. We're not that far removed where scripture was used to oppose interracial marriage. If there's any scripture that speaks back against that idea, I think Numbers chapter 12 is, is a big part of, of that picture. New Testament theology, let's jump ahead to the New Testament. There's obviously a lot more we can talk about there. Remember Jesus' background, Jesus' family, his genealogy. Jesus doesn't come from a pure lineage. Jesus has people from different ethnicities, different backgrounds, different nations that are coming into his story. The ministry of Jesus is he's reaching out to Samaritans who are the ultimate other. You think about the tension that exists in our world among people of different backgrounds or groups, it doesn't hardly hold a candle to what the tension was between the people 
and the Samaritans of the time, and yet Jesus is reaching out to the Samaritans. He's healing the child of a Roman centurion. He's connecting with these Greeks who are coming to know him. Jesus is constantly crossing barriers to spread the message of God's truth. The birth of the church, Acts chapter two. At the birth of the church in Acts chapter two, you have Africans, Europeans, and Middle Easterns gathered together, gathered together for the birth of the church there in Acts chapter two. And we see the gospel going out to Africa in, in Acts chapter eight. Here's something interesting for you. The birth of the Christian church there in Acts chapter two, people from all these different backgrounds and countries and skin types are, are coming together. The very first Baptist church that was established in the state of Oklahoma near Muskogee was made up of Native Americans, African Americans, and a white couple. How great is that? The start of the Christian church in Acts chapter two, you have all these people, all these different backgrounds that are brought together. The first Baptist church that was formed in the state of Oklahoma had people who were Native American, African American, and white brought together. This picture of the church coming together. We'll talk more about Acts chapter eight in, in weeks ahead. You also have these passages in the New Testament that, that deal with the topic of slavery or how people come together in, in a household. The New Testament opens wide the door for the end of slavery. As we think about slavery not being a part of God's work of creation in Genesis chapter one and two, and how Paul comes in and says, yeah, you may be living in this culture and here's how you live, but here's the wide open door for, for the end of slavery. We deal with all of these passages and now we get to Ephesians chapter two. Because if we're gonna address this topic of racism and how do we connect with people from different backgrounds and people different than us, if I was going to take you to any passage in scripture to deal with this, Ephesians chapter two, I think is the best starting place. Let's walk through these verses for a few minutes this morning. If you have your Bible open or, or your phone has access to the Bible, we're gonna start in verse 11. Cassidy already uh, led us in reading through verses four through 10 of this chapter, talking about the salvation that we have in Christ, that vertical element, we've been made right with God, Verse 11 and forward begins to deal with the horizontal part of that. Here we go, Ephesians chapter two, verse 11. Therefore remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, Gentile, if you're not familiar with the Bible, is any non-Jew being talked about here. So there, there's a distinction being, being made between the Jewish people and those who are Gentiles, those who are, are not Jews. You were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, the Jewish people, which is made in the flesh by hands. Verse 12, remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise. This idea of feeling like an outsider. I don't know if you've ever been in a workplace or gone to school or been a part of a group where you just felt like the ultimate outsider. Maybe people put up with you, but they just pushed you to the edge of everything that went on. This is the feeling that's being created here, that there's an inside group and an outside group. This is always the challenge in a church, that we would battle against this idea that there's the inside group and then everybody else on the fringes. This is the tension that should, should come up inside you as you read these verses. Into verse 12 having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off 
have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. There's that fence. There's that dividing wall that divides people from one another. How are we brought together? By the blood of Jesus Christ. That is our hope. And I know what I'm going to say next is going to sound like the ultimate oversimplification, but hear me out. The answer to racism in our world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is our hope. That is our hope. Because the gospel reconciles us to God and reconciles us to one another. Now, is it a complex problem? You better believe it's complex. And it is deeply, deeply a part of the culture in which we live. But our hope to overcome that hostility is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's been broken down in his flesh. What happened? Verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He came in verse 17 and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Peace to the Gentiles and peace to the Jews. For through him, verse 18, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation. There's the word foundation. We're building foundations, not building walls. We're building foundations, not building fences. What's our foundation? Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, the New Testament and the Old Testament, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is so good. By the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, God brings together people who otherwise would be separated. And he brings them together because of what he has done for them in Christ, which means the church at its very best, should be a picture to the world of what God wants to do among all people. We, as the church, have a chance to show the world around us what true unity really looks like and that it's found in Jesus Christ. The hard part of that is the church has not always done a good job of that. The hard part of that is sometimes the church, which is designed by God to show the beauty of the gospel and how God reconciles people together, sometimes the church has been the very body that has shown the division to the world. And you see the pain there, right? You see the pain that what we were created in Christ to do to show the power and beauty of diversity to the world, sometimes we have perpetuated division. And we are here to say no more. We are here to say that because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he brings us together from all kinds of backgrounds, from all kinds of differences, and we are unified in Christ, and we are going to show that picture to the world around us. How do we do that? Well, Derwin Gray, 
who this last year, he's an African-American pastor and, and author of a church out in South Carolina, former, former NFL player. Uh, he's written a book about this that I think is probably one of the best recent books on the topic. And he has this phrase that I really like. He says that as the people of God, we are called to be color-blessed, not color-blind. As the people of God, we are called to be color-blessed, not color-blind. How do we do that? How can we be color-blessed? How can we see all of our different, back, different backgrounds coming together to make us more together than we ever could be apart? Number one, we have to listen humbly to one another. Remember, God gave us one mouth, two eyes, and two ears, okay? Sometimes that's the best theology lesson that we could ever teach our kids. You have one mouth, two eyes, and two ears, which means we need to be slow to speak, slow to become angry. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. What causes a lot of the tension around us is we never stop to listen to anybody. We're not taught well by most of the news shows that we watch where people are just constantly talking back and forth to one another. We're definitely not taught well by social media. How do you really get to know somebody? You listen to them. You listen to their stories. Hey, tell me about your perspective. I know you're different than me. I know we don't come from the same background. Let me understand. How have you experienced these things in the world? You see a difficult subject on, on the news? Don't just talk about somebody. Go and talk to somebody who can give you a different perspective on that situation. Listen to somebody's testimony. We have one mouth, two eyes, two ears. We need to listen humbly. And the way we speak to people, we've got to be so careful. And I know this should go without saying, but it needs to be said anyway. Any type of joke that devalues someone who looks different or comes from a different background has no place in the mouth of a follower of Jesus. Absolutely none. We will not joke, we will not use language that devalues or puts someone down because it is a disgusting picture of the gospel and we're just not gonna do it. We have to speak to people in a way that is kind and loving and respectful and humble and says, I want to know you, I want to hear your story, I wanna learn from you. As the church, we need to be learning from people who are different than us. My friend Eric, who pastors South Tulsa Baptist Church, has written, recently co-authored a book called Inalienable. I've got it listed on our, on our webpage about this sermon series. But Eric's book, Inalienable, it talks about how the American church in the years ahead, we're going to have to learn from the global church. Most of us have grown up with a perspective, and this is not bad, but we've grown up in the American church where our job was to send missionaries out to other cultures to get the gospel to them. Again, good, we're not, we're not opposed to that. But in the years ahead, we're gonna have to learn from immigrants. We're gonna have to learn from the global church. We're gonna have to learn from those who come from a different perspective. As a predominantly white church, we're gonna learn a lot from the black church in the years ahead. How do you live in a world where your views are not always supported, where your views are not always in the majority. How do you live and operate? We learn from one another. We say, I wanna learn from people who have a different perspective on this, and I want to love and serve them well. Our job in relating to people who are different than us is not just to put up with them, it's to love them, and to serve them, and to reach out to them. 
I've been around Emmaus seven years. I've been around here long enough to know this is an incredibly loving church and that we would welcome and receive people who are different than us and that we would be able to lead together. Leading together has to do with being a multi-ethnic church. And one of the things that predominantly white churches run into on this topic, and, and hear me out on this, one of the things we run into is if we're not careful, if we're not careful as a predominantly white church, we really don't want to be a multi-ethnic church. We just want to be a multi-colored church because it looks really good in pictures in the world today. And we want to give this idea of diversity. Hey, look at us. We're, we're a diverse church. But are we really a multi-ethnic church? Are we really learning from and receiving people who, who are different than us? And I love this church when it comes to that that I have never in one moment being here felt like someone who came from a different background or had a different skin color would not be received here at Emmaus. And I, I love that about us. Here's what I love even more. I believe that through our kids' ministry and our youth ministry, God will use the next generation to lead us into a whole new picture of what that diversity looks like. As adults, we still cringe a little bit with these topics about race and ethnicity, our students and teenagers, they just live in this world every day. They, they don't struggle with it the same way that we do. And they are positioned to lead us into a beautiful picture of what this looks like in the days ahead. What's our goal as a church? Our goal as a church is that we would be an Acts 1-8 church with a Matthew 22 heart and a Matthew 28 mission and a Revelation 7 vision. And you're like, whoa, that's a lot of verses. What are you talking about here? And Acts 1-8 church says that we have received the power of the Holy Spirit so that we would be witnesses for God in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That through the power of God, the gospel is spreading out to all people. We're gonna be at Acts 1-8 church. We're gonna share the gospel here, and we're gonna share it around the world. Matthew 22 heart says that our calling is to love God and love others as ourselves. To love God and to love your neighbor. Matthew 28 is we're gonna go and make disciples of all nations, all people groups, baptizing and teaching them to follow Jesus. And we're gonna do it with a vision of Revelation 7. Revelation 7 verse nine is on the screen for you. It says, behold, a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages were standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Heaven is gonna be a beautifully diverse place. And as the church of Jesus Christ, we have a chance to begin now. God, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Show us a picture, show us a picture of what's in front of us so that we would be inspired now to live that out as the church of Jesus Christ. Our foundation, Genesis chapter one, all people made in the image of God. Our vision, Revelation seven, that people from all backgrounds would stand before the throne of God and worship. Our calling today, that we would love God, love others, and make disciples. That that is what we are called to do. Would you bow your heads with us?
I know as we think about these things, it's so easy to come to the end and say, okay, I'm okay, I'm not racist toward people, we're good. But before you do that, before you think in that way, would you first think about your relationship with God? Your personal relationship with God, do you know what it is for him to forgive your sins, for you to be made right with your creator? This marvelous gift of salvation that our hope is not found in the fact that we got our lives together or we tried to get along with other people. Our hope is found in Jesus of Nazareth who gave his life for us. Think about your relationships with other people. Who has God put in your life to listen to and learn from? Who is God calling you to reach out to? Maybe without even meaning to, you've fallen into a pattern of speaking about people in a joking, derogatory way. Maybe you know that in your heart when you see someone who is different than you, you don't like the response that comes. And this morning is just a chance to repent of that. To say, God, I want to love you and I want to love others. And God, change the way I see people around me. Help me to know the gospel and help me to live that out. God, make us that kind of church in the days ahead. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. 